Welcome back to the Scare Stiff Podcast. This is your host, Mike, and my co-host, Scott. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm a little low on energy. Feel that? Yeah, we're doing this early in the morning. We don't really do it usually this early. Yeah, so. we're usually doing it at like 3 in the afternoon, 4 in the afternoon. That's um, not true. That's well, not fucking five, true either. We do it six. like 6 o'clock usually. Well uh, after our day is mostly done through. And we're usually doing this till 9.30 because yeah. we talk too much. you want to introduce the movie today? Today's film is Nightbreed, the director's cut by Clive Barker. I mentioned before in the last episode I would have liked to watch the theatrical version. And it seems like the biggest problem for the consensus is that a lot of storytelling and character motives are kind of gone in the theatrical version. And I figured, nah, I'm not watching it then. <laughs> like, it... Everyone talks about how a director's cut is the complete version of a film, and obviously it would be. Why would the director not want certain scenes in there? But I really would have a hard time watching the re- the director's cut first and then going back and watching the theatrical. So it yeah. felt very it, minute it, to even consider that after going through this two-hour movie, and it felt like a long-form like epic and... I don't want to just take that away by watching a much more inferior version of the film. Yeah, if we started with the theatrical cut and went to the director's cut, that'd be one thing. But we pretty much resolved that it was going to be the director's cut first. And I could not imagine watching because it's it's like, uh, I think like 20 minutes shorter. I could not imagine watching that movie. Yeah, it's 20 minutes shorter, but there's like over 40 minutes of changed scenes. Yeah, because they change shit. Because yeah. a lot of there's... the scenes, they, a lot of what happens is different because they had the scenes they wanted to go in the film but the studio said hey you have to you have to change this that can't be the ending or whatever but the ending yeah. of the film is totally different oh is it yeah that's, so, that's what i heard so. there's actually a third cut it's called the cabal cut well, the cabal cut is, is a most, work print it's mostly the the director's cut though yeah but it's, it's 145 minutes so it's yeah. two hours and 20 minutes so it's longer yeah, but there's not much more into it. Like, the Cabal cut came out before the director's cut. Yeah, I just know it's basically, I think, the work print version of the movie. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people watch that, but I can't really find it anywhere, so I didn't watch that. I watched the director's cut on Shutter. This movie's kind of wild, I'm not going to lie. And I went through a lot of emotions and mind spaces while watching it because at first i thought i had this movie nailed down i knew what this movie was about (laughs) and then there's a certain point where the movie kind of turns and completely changes to a different kind of film at that point that's when i started to be like i don't know how i feel about this movie it kind of reminded me about how i felt while i was watching suspiria where i was just kind of like i don't know how i feel about this movie as i'm watching it you mean like the ending how like no like like the i would say probably because i I think it follows through with its meaning and like it's no, I'm, I'm more so mean tonally, like, uh, the type of movie, because it goes from this beautiful fantasy horror movie. The finale is like a fucking 80s action movie, almost. It's kind of crazy, having watched other Clive Barker movies, because it doesn't really feel like that, nearly. I think it feels a lot like 2, for Hellraiser. I haven't seen Hellraiser 2 yet. I just, I, when I got to, get to the end, it's just, like, explosions left and right, people lighting flamethrowers and fucking sh- gunning down nightbreed monsters and fucking... It, it got really crazy. Not in a bad way, necessarily. It's just, it, it felt very different from the way that the first, I'd say, act and a half was plotted out. It just felt kind of more like a high-octane movie than it did this uh, kind of beautiful little horror fantasy film. Actually, really what the movie ends up being is kind of an epic romance and that's my favorite part about the movie 
is is the romance between the main protagonists and uh, how far they'll go for each other. I really loved a lot of that stuff. I liked the characters a lot. There is the, the aspect of it being like an epic fantasy romance. I think I like the the connection between the two, but there's a lot, and I'm I'm not putting it into the movie. It's very obvious. There's a lot of like homoerotic like tendencies in the film, specifically towards the main character. Yep. And I. I think that's the only real tonal clash with the film because there is a lot of that homoerotic tendencies and there's a lot of like <clears throat> the, the one of the things they have when he's on the drugs in the first part of the movie is like he shows visual disgust of watching himself have sex with his his girlfriend and like it's hard to make that scene be in the same movie where they're supposed to end up together as this big fucking like king and queen of this fantasy realm it's like my thing a... is, my thing is more so like, is it that he's disgusted about watching his, him and his girlfriend have sex, or is it like the visual effect kind of that they implement that's bothering him? Like, I can't really tell if it's if it's one or the other because they show. I don't know if, if what they're showing us is literally what he's seeing, but if I saw that, I'd be pretty disgusted too because my eyes would be melting. I don't know if it's played out for that reason. I have no idea. But I, you know, it's one of many things that they definitely showcase. The relationship between the psychiatrist and him to almost be very much like a fucking forceful, unnatural relationship. A power fantasy between very, two men. Very big power fantasy. And I like all these aspects of the movie. I think they all work very well. I just think it's tough to build it being like a, a big epic romance between the two. And it, it really showcases him being so unsure of the romance in the first place. And it's like, oh yeah, like I can't be with you because of this or because of that. So it makes it kind of weird by the ending, I feel. Well, I think that, that mostly runs into how he, he gets to Midian and he thinks that this is just what Midian is and he can't walk both both lines. So he's telling her like, I can't be with you because I'm now in Midian. But once yeah. he starts to rebel, then he realizes that he can't have his his love, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and they give a lot of reason to that. That by the end of the film, when it's like, oh, I'm gonna go with you. And he's like, well, no, you're not. Like, Kinda can't. You can't do that. She's like, well, why don't I become one of you? And he's like, no. no. I mean, there's not a real logical conclusion as to why he can't make her that besides he doesn't want to take that from her. Like her I feel humanity. like that's that's pretty much it. It's just that he doesn't want to have to kill her. Yeah. killing her. But I don't know. I feel like there's so many reasons to go more into it. I really feel like as the film goes along, the relationship becomes more like she is dependent on the idea of him and he's trying to become more of an individual and she feels like she's holding him back and that the main character kind of showcases that so the end of it kind of contradicts how i feel like he's being built throughout the film i i also don't hate it like it's just very much a romance that needs adjusting as it develop like develops on yeah i didn't i didn't really feel any of that i felt more of the uh he felt this enormous weight on him going to midian and also this um this level of embarrassment of his disfigurement now and how it's changed him visually and he feels like a monster and he doesn't want her to see him that way so he's pushing her away you know same way some people do with you know their depression or anxiety they push away the people that they love most because that's just what their mind tells them to do and i kind of equated it to that so when they get to the end He's he wants to be with her, but to me, he's afraid to put her in the same position that he's in because he wants her to have a life. 
but what he's not understanding when she's talking to him is she doesn't want to have a life if it's not with him so she forces it <laughs> on him which i will say kind of made me really gasp while i was watching it because you fucking just absolutely massacred her admin with that knife i wasn't expecting it i thought that they were that that something else was going to happen but when she just jams herself with that knife i actually gasped and sat up in my chair but by the end i really like how that that romance wraps up a lot it feels like there's supposed to be more to this like there was supposed to be like a nightbreed 2 well, i don't know it, if this was supposed to be a franchise based on a book that clive barker wrote called cabal. yeah cabal i don't know if there's a second book or anything but it feels like there was it was left with more story to tell because all the nightbreed monsters were all displaced the ones that were still alive and it seemed like they were waiting to continue the story with cabal and you know, his love i don't know how it ends in the actual theatrical version because I have no idea. if that's a definitive end it makes sense as to why there would never be a sequel i mean it, yeah. it didn't really make money either yeah it bombed commercially and uh critically i mean it wasn't gonna get a sequel but yeah it seemed like they were kind of teasing out saying like oh this could be my next franchise he could 100 percent make it make a sequel like it nowadays it's got such a cult following and it's yeah. super popular since the director's cut came out people are really into the end of the movie and i think i think it'd be a cool idea i think it's something you could flesh out and do now I don't know if you try to do it 30 years in the future or whatever. I mean, I have problems with some of the framing of the romance in the movie, but I altogether, I love the movie. Like, I think it's the biggest shock I've witnessed as a first time watch as of late. Like, I wouldn't even say like I had a good time. I'd say I genuinely think it's one of my favorite films of the era, especially cause it came out in 1990. That this could be my favorite film of the 90s cause it's so fucking radical. What's a low bar for you? Jurassic Park came out in the '90s. Oh, movies in general. Yeah, I I think it's just a fantastic. Oh, I was I was thinking horror movies because we bitched about well we bitched together about '90s movies. Yeah, '90s horror I mean, movies. I, so. I don't love '90s horror films. I mean, there's some good ones, but I'd say horror films. Nightbreed is it has the highest scope. It has the heaviest themes. That when you watch the movie nowadays, you shouldn't be able to relegate it to things happening currently. You oh. shouldn't be. But it's almost so in your face about the things that are happening that I, I just couldn't believe. Like, why the fuck is this so topical? Why is it more topical now than when it came out? Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe saying more is a bit disrespectful because, you know, that movie came out in 1990. The issues they're hitting on at that time period are obviously a little bit different. You know, I know race relations were at an all-time high right in that era of the 90s because the Rodney King thing happened, like, I think three or four years after that movie came out. Yeah. So it definitely hits on... Obviously, the Nightbreed is an ambiguity of people that are being put down. The Nightbreed are, like, the ambiguity of the X-Men or anything it's also, else. Yeah. It's, it's like, also coming out post, you know, the whole AIDS Oh, especially. I mean, so a lot of that. on that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciated that stuff about the movie. I like that. I always like it when I mean it's it's Clive Barker, so no surprise. But yeah. I like it when horror movies have more on their mind than just entertainment. Not that I have a problem with horror movies that are just entertaining. I mean, we just got done with a whole Friday the Thirteenth series. Yeah. So it's fine when they do that. It's just it is fun to kind of dissect movies, and I like the fact that this is a movie that has a lot more on its mind than just look at these makeup effects. Yeah. I mean, so. I wouldn't call it subtle. For the ending, no, the ending isn't not. subtle. I'd say a lot of the themes and elements in the first two acts can be subtle, yeah. and as the film builds up, it becomes more in your face. I don't think it's out of left field per se, 
Yeah, like I didn't pick up the homoerotic stuff between uh, Cabal and uh, I'm blanking on the name of the doctor. <clears throat> I know it's played by, by David Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, I didn't pick up on all that stuff, but once you pointed it out, I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I, I think it's just, yeah. the coolest thing about really a lot of horror films is there really is way more homoerotic tendencies than you really think about. By the way, yeah. by the way, like a lot of the male actors talk to each other, but in in that one, I wasn't gonna say like, ah, you know, it's whatever. But they had that phone call together. That phone call made me believe that like whatever happens next. I feel like when they talk about this doctor, like he fucking like sexually assaulted him because like the way he's saying like, come over tomorrow, and he's like, I I really can't. Like he's like, like no, I'll see you here tomorrow. It's like that's like really unsettling about the power dynamic they're already setting up. Like, this is really already nerve-wracking. What the fuck's gonna happen next? Yeah, it makes you think, like, what was he gonna do if if he if Boone didn't show up? Yeah, like, it, it just sets in a, like... Would he be the next victim? Like, the way he sets it up, though, it, it seems like they already have a previously established relationship, but we don't know anything about it, so the idea of what that relationship is is, like, what the fuck? How, do, how can you talk to someone like that off the get-go and be the psychologist? So it's just yeah. very, very weary off the get-go. I'll say one thing, at least to me. I mean, obviously, because we we know he's the bad guy. Yeah. But I would say, as, as a person looking in, if that fucker talked to me, I would be like, you are definitely a sociopath. <laughs> You're definitely oh, going to yeah. kill somebody tonight because he's very late. He's laying on very, laying on very thick as far as his, you know, he has like zero emotion for a lot of it unless he doesn't have unless he has the mask on pretty much he he has like zero emotion so it's like it's a second face for him to hide himself from and that shit's fucking nuts and i but also at the same time i can see how the cops wouldn't because he just seems very calm to them but man i i would not want that motherfucker taking out the slasher part of it completely i wouldn't want that guy as my uh, my psychiatrist he's terrifying it is funny with all the different interactions that character has with a lot of characters in the film yeah who would you say is your favorite character in this film because there's a lot of characters by the end of the movie. Oh man, I can't remember his name. It's the guy who um, carves his face. Carves his face. Yeah, I love him. So I think it's like Narcissi or something like that because a lot of the names are obviously based around like not just like all mythology and everything, but it, it's because I think it's like not. It's obviously not Narcissus. It's not the exact translation. Yeah, but I think it's something close to it. He is funny. When you first get introduced to him, you're like, oh, this dude's. Because he's just be, out of his mind at first. Yeah, I'm like, please don't be in this film for too long, man. But by the end of the movie... When he comes back... He's great. <laughs> he's really funny. I really like him a lot. And he's also, like, one of those... He's he's pretty much a perfect, like, pal character for this kind of a movie. I also really like... Uh, what Again, like, I forget. I don't know why I'm forgetting her name, but it's the uh, the lady who uh, walks into the police station buck-ass naked. Her little baby Babette. Ah, uh, dude. I don't know why I'm I know her, her name. name. Fuck. I, I really like that character. She's I like really how... Good. I really appreciate her like motherly presence and how she like really protects but like really cares about Bubat and all that stuff. Yeah. And kind of leads the main girl into this world and shows kind of shows her it and kind of takes her under her wing and kind of, you know, makes it a little bit easier for her when other things are kind of being really fucking scary. Yeah, I really like her too. And obviously I like the the uh, I like the the psychiatrist just because he's insane. Absolutely insane. I love that there's so many antagonists in the film. Yes directly antagonistic towards just Cabal. Like, so many of it comes straight to him. Obviously the psychiatrist, obviously the racist sheriff, but like... Oh, honestly, the whole fucking police department in that area. They're so fucking bad. 
I mean, when they show you that flashback of the whole, you know, like uh, the Black Hoods, which it's KKK. Be real because I mean, I don't think they actually come out and say it, but that was just how this area was, and it just has continued. And they just went underground and hid from them, but it's never stopped. So I find that really kind of it's just like continuous systemic racism, continuous, just like these people have to literally hide to live and build these like shanty towns underground to survive. But yeah, the, the whole police station, they're fucking constant. <laughs> oh, they're terrible. I mean, there's also the fact there's the antagonistic Nightbreed guy, who I think is yeah, awesome the guy in the, the movie. The guy with the, the, uh, the tail, the yeah, like tails. heads, yeah. Yeah, the first guy that Boone, Boone fucks, uh, he fucks Boone up. He's the guy that turns him into a Nightbreed, pretty much. He's really cool. I actually spent the whole time trying to figure out who Doug Bradley was. Oh, I know it's who, the guy I know who, who he was. He's the old guy. Sand. He's the old guy. But, uh, with the, with the, like, set, like, the, the like, eight eyes on his face those are eyes i really like how he was just like this elderly man <laughs> yeah the old everyone's got powers world. yeah everyone's got powers but we don't know what his is but then he has like eight eyes and we're like oh he powers sees everything wisdom. he sees everything would you call would you call baphomet a uh, antagonist and then no. you know if they played it up more about his will being against that of the people's sure but by the end of the film after he goes to speak to baphomet it just seems like he understands him and he like he has to go do his bidding and do his will as well yeah. so he's not an antagonist he's like moses yeah I, I mean it starts off like it almost be like a he's opposing the religion and switching yeah. it and creating a new version of it but at the end it, it's not really that i think the coolest swerve in the movie is that he's not a savior by the end of the film he destroyed everything and yeah. like it's not like oh I have to do this or whatever because everyone follows me. It's literally a punishment. He calls it as a punishment as yeah. because of his actions. It's my job and my duty to start anew. But also, I think that the I think the movie also kind of argues that while he did tear down Midian, it was inevitable. Not even just that it was inevitable, but Cabal came in and pretty much force these people to really live again yeah they've been hiding for so long they really aren't living and they force them to fight for their life and and to not be trapped underground which pretty much most of them don't. don't most of them don't and they all fucking die but yeah. a decent chunk of them get out and as sad as it is that a lot of them died the ones that lived have a potential to have a better life possibly i, just, I think it's good to not paint people like that as just perfect perfect protagonist because like yeah regardless or not of like changing the path of how the movie is going to play out or how these characters are going to go towards the future he's still pretty solely responsible for, for the deaths of like a large majority oh 100 so, yeah it doesn't condone that action but it does have kind of a silver lining it does have a silver lining i just think it's nice that the film says like he isn't really the one who's gonna fix everything like he has to destroy it and it's yeah. good to acknowledge the faults of it before saying hey we are gonna follow him but like is it really like what choice do we have damn bro hot take thor ragnarok stole from nightbreed bro i don't fucking know i didn't watch it you're better off no the, the whole thing is they they, they use surger to destroy asgard to begin anew it's kind of similar it it it, it, it has no relation it's just i mean that I, is just a lot of i don't like that movie a lot of uh theming <laughs> to most like biblical type films yeah like to create something new you have to destroy the old i mean the whole idea of ragnarok is destruction and all that shit so it really isn't i just think it's funny i think another neat thing about the movie is just when he first gets to midian it is terrifying like i, I remember when he first got there and he's being chased and the the way scenes are framed i'm like 
this is genuinely fucking frightening. Like, if it you're is in his shoes, that's terrifying. It's scary, but there is one moment that's really funny. Which one? It's when he te- when he tells the guy, he's like, I'm a knife. I'm, I killed I killed people. I killed like 17 people or whatever, however many people killed. He's like, he lied to you, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> he fucking lied to you, you idiot. That's really funny. What a swerve, too. Like, the movie just, as it's picking up its pace, so much shit happens. You're like, what the fuck, man? Like, there's yeah, no I, way I at, after that this, scene. I definitely can't call this a slow movie. Yeah, no. Immediately after that scene, he fucking narrowly escapes. And he gets fucking gunned down. And yeah, it's like, absolutely there's no way I would expect that to happen. Yeah, when that happened, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. It's like, oh. it's, wow, that's a real short movie. When he gets off the slab, I'm like, okay. He's running buck-ass naked to fucking Midian now. Wild. Also, I don't know if I will go so far as to say that this movie would be complete, would not be nearly as good without it, but god damn, does Den- Danny Elfman's score really fit this movie? Yeah. It's so good. The to- for, for the tone of this movie, it is absolutely perfect. There was a couple of moments where I was like, oh, this is almost Burton-esque, but it's not Burton-esque. It's just I Danny think Elfman. the opening is Burton-esque. A little bit. Some of the camera work, some, especially like... Well, um, to, to be fair. When, when he's driving to Midian and they have the camera f- flying above him, it kind of reminded me a little bit of stuff like from, from Beetlejuice or something. But that might also have more to do with the fact that Danny Elfman is doing the score. And I, I typically associate Danny Elfman with him. I don't know if this is but, 100% correct, but I remember reading about it, is that he didn't have a whole finalized score for the movie he didn't have everything scored out so when they made the director's cut whoever's in charge of like the the new like cut to it they went back to danny elfman to get more score towards it that's pretty cool that's pretty good because you i'd be afraid it's true i i can't i can't back up that claim but i'm pretty sure i read that It'd be it'd be lo- it'd be suck if it would be like longer and they had to use like tent music to finish it or like music because like uh, movies have done that before where they like they'll use kind of, they'll kind of cheat and they'll put some music that kind of sounds like the score but yeah. it's actually stuff from other films possibly by the same composer but well, they did that for Alien. Friday did that. I think they Friday did that, did that for, Alien. for Part Seven. Yeah, Part Seven is mostly music comprised from Minfordini from other Friday entries and they have yeah. somebody else to do the fill-ins. And then that guy is the dude who did part eight afterwards. Yeah, I think the, um, like for Alien, Jerry Goldsmith did like an entire score and then they kind of just didn't go with it and they did other shit. So when they screened it, it had temp music instead, I think. That's what I heard from the, from the documentary on the disc. Like, that's fucking nuts. That's actually nuts. You paid this man to score your movie and you didn't even let him put, you didn't even put the score in a movie and you use other people's music. Weird. But yeah, I think Danny Elfman's score for this is dope. It really does set the mood for that kind of, you know, when I, when I think of Danny Elfman, I think of, you know, not just, you know, creepy, you know, gothic or horror imagery, but also fantastical imagery. Well, I think when Danny Elfman does music for any type of film, it usually fits to a fantastic world that is supposed to be somewhat grounded. It can't be too crazy, usually. There has to be some elements of reality to it, and that's yeah. kind of how he sinks in the best to these type of films. Yeah, this kind of reminded me, the score for this kind of reminded me of, like, a little bit of, like, Creepshow, and... Um, in what way? It's more so the, the choral in the background, because if you listen to the Creepshow theme song, you can hear these kinds oh. of, like, uh, choral backgrounds that really really gave me Creepshow vibes. Um, but also, in some of the more, like, beautiful moments, I had a, almost like a Batman-y kind of feeling for some of it, some of the more epic moments felt scored more like a batman movie mm-hmm. not like to the exact degree but it reminded me a lot of some of the the tracks from batman or batman returns i mean this is done during his prime i mean like yeah. it came out right after batman 
right before Batman Returns. Yeah, two years before Returns. Yeah. And then, I mean, after... Edward Scissorhands would be recent, would be close to that, too. 95 94 or, or 95. Yeah. yeah. So this is during his, like, peak period before, like, when he blew up as a composer. I mean, when you really think about... You have Danny Elfman doing the, the composition for the music. You have Clive Barker directing it. And, you and have, writing it. Yeah, and you have all of these new elements for a world that's untapped ready to be like fleshed out like it fucking sucks this version isn't the version that was in theaters yeah if this if this was the version that came on theaters there would have been multiple there definitely would have been yeah i have to feel like it's one of those situations where the the studio looked at the cut and said yeah but it's too long and studios i mean uh, it's like uh general audiences are too fucking dumb to watch a movie that's over fucking 90 minutes so you gotta cut this down buddy and I, I remember seeing when you watch the movie you feel like this movie costs fucking money like, oh yeah there's so much shit in it i remember looking at the the price for it it's not that crazy for how much it costs like yeah but I, the question is how much was it how much is it with inflation that's the thing that with inflation like it's not that ridiculous oh yeah i think it was 11 million yeah it's 11 million for a budget and it's like oh, 11 million for like you know that's how much the new halloween costs but still the stuff they do in this film for 11 million dollars is wild he's able to get a lot done there's so much makeup effects so much effects well, I remember, like, Clive Barker, when he, you know, he put out Hellraiser and all this stuff, everyone's like, Clive Barker's the next master of horror, the next John Carpenter, the next Wes Craven, you know. After stuff like Hellraiser, he was getting a lot of attention, so I would have to assume, because he made Hellraiser for shoestring. Well, Hellraiser's such an easy film to do. It's, it's, there's, like, two sets. Like the, Yeah, but the makeup effects were pretty complicated for the price that oh, they for paid sure. for it. And because of how successful that was, you know, generally speaking, if you're if you do a good job, then you usually get more money. And I feel like they they handed them a decent pr- a price tag for this movie, and then it didn't do well. So, and it's the studio's fault, probably. I would say. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, because most of it came down to test screenings, and they just kept fucking with things after the test screenings. I hate test screenings. Yeah, test screenings are fucking stupid. You shouldn't have a test screening for most films. I would say, like, release your movie. if you're releasing a blockbuster and as a studio, you want to make sure that blockbuster to. is going to do bang-up jobs. I get it, but it just seems so redundant to change the vision of a film after a test screening because, I don't know, the film going into a test screening should most likely be the film that is intended to go out. Obviously, test screenings do have their positives. Like, you wouldn't have gotten Halloween if you didn't have a test screening saying, this sucks, there's no music. And then he's yeah. like, I'll make a fucking banger score. Yeah. So there's a, there's always positives to everything, but I can't think of how many di- like directors have their vision completely halted because some fucking dumbass in a test screen was like, I don't know, I don't fucking get it. Well, like, also, the way that they do test screenings, you know, especially back then, a lot of people got brought to test screenings. It's like, these movies weren't for them. Yeah, 100%. You know, like, they get some fucking soccer mom off the street and bring them in to watch a movie like this like this isn't for them this is specifically for genre fans and you know you can't always have movies that appeal to everybody and i think that the problem is is that that's why movies get so kind of bogged down in homogeny homogeny and they get really dull is because they're trying their hardest to appeal to the widest possible demographic to get the most money they possibly can when if you actually target it at at the 
the audience that it was supposed to be and you released the film the way it was supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any kind of, you know, studio studio interference or slash, you know, cooperation, because that's that's kind of how the, the business works. You have to like they, they put up the money. They're going to have to. You, it's, it's a collaborative effort. effort. You got to work with people. But there's also points where the studio oversteps their boundaries a lot. Yeah. And this is one of those. If they release this movie, the full two-hour version of it, I mean, I can't speak for the Cabal Cut, but this, the full two-hour version of this, this would have made much more money, I think. I think it would have made much more money. It would have, been, it would have gotten much better reviews, for sure. And I think that we probably would have had a lot more people hailing this as a great movie that just didn't because they never saw it because they heard it was terrible and they skipped it. Well, the biggest thing is, like, if I ask somebody, oh, how do you feel about Nightbreed? It doesn't matter what Shudder has on their fucking streaming service or what anybody else is showing like they don't care about like the director's cut isn't the version that everyone ha- has seen like yeah if if i go on fucking wikipedia and i say oh what's the reception to, to nightbreed it's not gonna be the reception of the director's cut it's gonna be the original film like you can't change the fact that that film no matter what it's how much you edited it now how much you've changed now the first instance of how you saw this movie is always going to be put in as this is what it is now we live in an entirely different age than it was 20 years ago. Like, a director's cut of a movie that could come out now can be perceived as the film. Zack Snyder's Justice League changed the ballpark for how we're viewing films. Even the same thing with, uh, with the ultimate cut for Batman Superman. Yeah, I mean, with Justice League, everybody unanimously will rank them as two different films. Yes. The original and Zack Snyder's. Because they're completely different movies. But who's doing that for other films? Nightbreed and the theatrical version are not the same movie because of so many things are fundamentally different. Because it's sadly not as high profile. They're not going to even discuss it. It's just wild to think about how much we as a society are now getting behind the idea of directors making their vision be known. And it's a great thing. It really is awesome. I think people are getting a little too fucking on the offense about what they want. Even though, you know, everybody should have to see the director's final vision. But in the end of the day, it's not it's not a fucking war. Like, it is what it is. Yes, but I agree. It is, it is cool to see that, like, we're living in an age where, realistically, film is dying. You know, like, the, the attachment for viewers going to see films in theaters and, like, digesting that material and seeing it in new and crazy different ways, that interest is, is weary for most general audiences. But for the passionate fans that still love that shit, like, their passion is stronger now than ever. So yeah. It's, it's cool. And, and it, it makes me believe that, like, I mean, horror fans and horror movies are already, like, it's a cult classic. Everything that's big that isn't big by a mainstream audience, they're all cult classics. It's already a small, marginalized group about how you look at films versus how fucking film fans look at films. You know, we all love fucking great dramas, fucking eccentric comedies, shit like that. But if you talk to a film fan that doesn't like horror, your opinion means fucking nothing because you watch some fucking gory films. It's like, yeah, all right, buddy. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun talking to people about horror that don't watch horror because they'll be sitting there and be like, oh, you know, what's your what's one of your favorite movies? And I'll, I'll drop, I don't know, like, I don't know Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. Because I always talk about Halloween. They'd be like, "Oh, I mean, like, is that really you know like a great movie though? Like, it's just oh, like a, man. just like a slasher movie, right? Like, no, no. I mean, I don't usually flex on Rotten Tomatoes, but like, it's it's one of the higher rated horror movies, especially of the '80s. But uh, I mean, you know, 
you just gotta if you watch the movie like treat horror just like any other fucking genre and you will see why these are are movies that are that should be more respected than they are i picked one that was pretty it's pretty well respected by most people to be fair yes but if i if i showed them this they'd be like oh what the fuck is this well the biggest thing it's like it's hard to really from my point of view respect certain genres and not respect horror because fundamentally horror has to push so many buttons about how it can be perceived or what you can do with it budget plays into a lot of things like action films but budget will play in way more to a horror film than almost any other genre i mean the only thing that's gonna affect your fucking budget for a drama is did you cast fucking daniel craig in the news knives out number two like that's gonna cost a lot of the fucking money buddy but for most dramas as long as you have good actors and you have a small set that's contained which like most dramas are it doesn't change that much like the budget doesn't affect the overarching movie horror the budget can affect so many vastly different things it's kind of funny though because in some of these like action films i would say like oh man you gotta have a good a decent budget a healthy budget so you can get some pretty decently scoped action sequence out of it it's kind of funny sometimes lower budget horrors the best stuff the coolest thing about lower budget horror is that like it reminds you it's still like exists like the stuff that you liked from like the 80s or 90s you can still find it it's just you gotta not look in a studio because people are there's still a lot of passionate filmmakers that don't have the fucking budget that you wish they did but they showcase like hey we're still doing it it's like dude honestly thanks (laughs) that's that's why i mean i loved watching nightbreed more than anything cool going back to a film from the 90s by a director that is always putting his all into everything yeah. And getting a huge epic out of it it's like yeah, oh that's... It's, it's another one that can be added to the list of just these fantastic films from a perfect era of developing ideas and... that's kind of the amazing thing too because it's just like we you know we, we like low budget horror movie here on the podcast but it, it, it's kind it feels like it's almost kind of rare sometimes to watch a movie like this isn't you know by our standards i guess today i mean i don't know how much 11 million and current climate is but for this movie especially even if that is kind of still low budget this is a big movie like it's big it's got a lot of ideas it's got a lot of makeup effects and i mean a lot of them the director's cut has even more there are so many monsters their designs are so intricate and so fascinating and it has an entire society that they kind of set up and tee up for you to to investigate more and that kind of shit just doesn't feel like it really happens much anymore where we get this movie that feels like a fully fleshed out universe that exists and that kind of leads me to something that i was thinking when i was watching this help uh i was gonna say hellraiser (laughs) um nightbreed would make a hell of a television show yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie i don't want any more television Yeah, I mean, I, I don't watch TV very much anymore, just because it's too much to keep up with for me. I, I, I like to just watch my watch my two hours and get out a lot, so I just watch my movies. But I feel like this would be one of those movies where one of these TV shows where you could really, really dig into the meat. I would agree of this this universe and explore what it really means to be a Nightbreed and Midian before it is destroyed and Baphomet and all that whole dynamic. I think you you could make a hell of a television show out of this. They will never do it. The only people who would do it is someone like Shudder, but Shudder's not going to do it. I but hate, like with, I hate with the, the money idea. they put into Creepshow, they yeah. could fucking make this show. I hate the idea of making more television, especially yeah. for like horror. I feel like I'm so sick of horror television. I feel like it's all fucking mundane. 
and shit just gets fucking dead on the tracks after like a season. Yeah. I mean, the reason shows like American Horror Story can be prolonged is it's a new story every season. Yeah. Which I feel like that lends itself easy to horror, especially anthology stuff. But yeah, for a television show for horror, like you really have to have everything plotted out, or it's gonna feel so fucking stupid by the end of it. You're asking questions. Why is this happening? I'm in three seasons. And you're gonna do some dumb shit like this, but at the same time, it'd be idiotic to say Nightbreed wouldn't be easily adaptable to television. It would definitely have to focus and be a hybrid of, of genres. It would have to be, you know, ju- yeah. not just horror. It'd have to definitely lean into fantasy and action and stuff. Because like the, the the type of horror television shows that I've watched and enjoyed are all hybrid shows. Yeah. Stuff like Buffy and Angel, where they're yeah they're horror, I guess, but they're also, you know, comedy. They also our action shows but yeah i think i just I, I think that it would be really cool to see a studio take a chance on on making if they're not going to make another night breed movie or try try this idea again they should just i think it'd be cool if they did a television show i think it'd be really cool but they won't do it because it's it's this is this is niche as fuck yeah it's super niche so you know you, you could tell someone hey clive parker the first thing you're gonna think of is hellraising and say yeah well i watched this movie that he this other movie he did it's called Nightbreed. Really, what the fuck is that? So, and when we say niche as fuck, we mean to a general audience too. I yes, mean, I'd say most horror fans know decently well about Nightbreed. Yeah, like I've I've known about this movie for years. I just never sat down and watched it. Yeah, you know, I'm in a bunch of horror groups on Facebook, and I talk to people on Twitter a lot about horror. And I've, Nightbreed comes up all the time. Yeah, it's a very very big film within the community for I, good reason. Now that yeah, no, for sure. I I debate if I like it more than Hellraiser. I mean, I just saw it, but I. I would definitely say I like it more than Hellraiser so far. Yeah, I'll say talking about it has definitely more solidified my thoughts on the movie because I kind of deliberately didn't really say much to you about it because I wanted to do it on the podcast and talk about it here. I literally just said to you like so. it was incredible. Like I loved it after I finished it. I had yeah, a good, I had a good ambiance going on through it. I think I just said yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was so fucking <laughs> mad. I wanted to smack the fuck out of you. I, I wasn't was like, trying to be an ass. Yeah, you're like yeah, it's pretty cool. I was like okay. Like, yeah, I, I wasn't okay, trying to buddy. be a dick. I, I just I, didn't want to sit here and I didn't want to text you back and say, yeah, I'm not so sure I, about it. I, I literally, because I don't get passionate about when I finish a movie. I'm just like, I could watch a movie and be like, I love it, but I don't need to talk about it right now. It's for later. Yeah. But when I finished that, I was like, that is fucking amazing what they did. I was so like left and off. So I was like, it's incredible. You're like, Yeah, it's pretty good. I remember I looked over to my girlfriend and I said, I'm going to beat the fuck out of Mike <laughs> right now. I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, no, I just didn't want to talk about it yet. That's fine. I mean, I was—I literally had just finished I mean, it. I, don't I was want to processing. Fuck it. It's okay. Like, well, not anymore than you usually do. Come over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I—I I didn't want to talk about it because I wasn't positive how I felt about it, and I wanted to have this be more organic on the podcast. I, I definitely I, didn't. I definitely did not mean for that to sound nearly as dismissive as it did. <laughs> no, it's all good, bro. I do it a lot too. I, I immediately I after do. I got mad, I was like, "There's so many times Mike says this was so great," and I'm just like. All right. Yeah, I text. I think I texted you, Monsoon. Like, yeah, watch Monsoon. You're just actually, you didn't even fucking respond to that. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, I'm not watching that. You told me in person. It's okay. That's a little different. Texted you first though. <clears throat> oh, but ignored me, bro. Just ignored me. Get used to it. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? See, I would love to say I wish I watched this earlier. Like, I would have. I like. I would have liked to have gotten into it way earlier on and, and loved this movie. But I think this movie's way better watching it now. Like with the social climate and the political climate, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna get into it, it, but the movie feels like it was made to come out now. 
Yeah. It's, it's on the level of so being self-aware to current political times. You think fucking Spike Lee did it? Like I, I was so amazed when you have these fucking like town folk just charging in with their big fucking pickup trucks, just pushing out people that they that they think don't fucking fit the standard and they need to go. And I'm like, there is no fucking way. Like yeah, everyone knows it's the joke about like, oh, a bunch of fucking hillbillies don't like new people, but like. Yeah, it's not, but it's not just about hillbillies because yeah. the whole point is that these people look different. Yeah, and they're afraid of that. It's like, yes, we know what you're of their current area. They feel like they don't belong here. Yeah, it's so. it's just it's not surprising because it's not like these are issues that haven't been around for I want to say hundreds of years, obviously, but like over like twenty to fifty years. These are not new thoughts. Well, it's, it's not. It's not like it's not like racism's. <laughs> Racism's no. been around oh. for been around know, for a very speak, long time. I'm speaking like specifically like this type of racism, where it's like hillbillies, like being immigration, and shit. stuff like that, things like that. I, obviously, it's been around for hundreds of years in different areas, but I'm taking for us solely in this climate. Yeah, it's it just hits on a lot of notes being talked about nowadays to a point where you're like, I could see watching this in the '90s and really appreciating it, but I'd watch it and appreciate it way fucking more now. Like this yeah. is the perfect time period to watch Nightbreed, and I like I always say at the end of every podcast, like, hey, please go check out this movie. Like, I think it's necessary to check this out now, to see this nowadays through the visions that we have to see on a day to day basis and the turmoil people are going through. Watch this fucking movie, and you'll be like, this came on fucking 1990, and you're telling me all this shit? No way. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> also completely unrelated topic but i was realizing while i was watching this that i'm 99 percent sure that this movie takes place in canada yeah i think because i'm fairly certain they showed a shot of the city and i think it's toronto i was not i don't know why that really mattered to me i was just like oh that's oh i thought this was in america yeah i mean they definitely filmed so. it in england though yeah because like but, the, the cars they they're still on the right side and yeah and they just like they they showed that shot of Toronto. I'm like, oh, oh that's that's interesting. I didn't know that was that's gonna happen. Um, so I actually we did we kind of no. They say the name of the of the city in the movie, in the do very they? beginning. Do did they say tar- Toronto? Because it really looked like, it so. definitely looked like Toronto. I I thought oh that's gonna bug me. I think it was like some I think it was like something like fucking San Diego or some some dumb shit. I could be totally wrong, but I I think they mentioned it and I was like. It's there. IMDb usually tells you filming locations. I just want to know where it says the movie's supposed to take place. I know it's in Midian. Eat my ass, dude. Nightbreed was shot in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Okay. As well as one of one of them uh, was it was filmed in Wexham Park Hospital in uh, Berkshire, the uh, United Kingdom. Yep. But a lot of it was filmed on uh, sound stages in Pinewood Studios. So part of it was filmed in America. I just thought it was funny because of the uh the cars yeah like i don't think you guys just have random british cars just in america and just some fucking parking lot You're like, yeah hop in yeah that was at the um at the hospital right yeah yeah that's the only place they shot in England. uh not the hospital it was at the hospital and the police station oh okay so cabal it takes place he says it definitively takes place in alberta but they filmed in calgary bragg creek dumb drumheller and canmore so it is. It is supposed to take place in Canada, okay. according to the book. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I must have fucked up that maybe it wasn't Toronto, but it looked. It, I don't know why. Like there was a, um, um, 
a structure there's a needle. I was like, oh, that looks like the Toronto uh, needle there, but it, it wasn't. I just remember the Cana- Canadian audiences are screaming at me right now. They're just like, well, there's one of those there too. It's like, oh, fucking that dude. I'm an ignorant American. It's okay. No one from Canada watches this. <laughs> yeah, Germany does. I know. It's weird. That's <laughs> pretty good. cool. Though, That's good. Pretty cool though. <laughs> thanks, thanks for watching Germany. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to say besides like location isn't an afterthought. But like the city stuff doesn't play into it much. There's not afterwards. much that really happens in the city. Yeah. Because after a certain point, that's pretty much in Midian and the small town around Midian. Yeah. So it, it doesn't really matter what city they were in because they spend like 20 minutes tops there. Yeah. I, I want to point out that like it's kind of crazy the like mix of kind of genres that this movie goes through. Not just because I, I know I talked a little bit about how like the, the finale has a lot of like it's like big bombastic action. Yeah, but like the stuff at the beginning with Cronenberg, uh, he you know there's a whole sequence that's just a, sh- a slasher sequence that's like really well directed. And, really well um, directed. I thought the exact same thing because the shots like when she's opening the fridge and stuff. I I'm watching it and I don't do it a lot, but I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, this is so fucking well shot. Like, this is a perfect yeah. slasher scene. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, he's gonna be around there. He's gonna be around there. He's like, he's not. He's not. I'm like. Oh, what the fuck, bro? What the fuck's going on? And then he, when he, when she gets fucking clobbered, he like cuts her across her face, dude. I was like, oh my god, this is really fucking bad. And that was finally, I was like, oh, they killed. He killed two elder, kind of elderly, not elderly, but older people, probably middle aged people. And then he turns to the kid, and that's when I'm like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. The kid and they the reveal he definitely kills down his eye. Yeah, and they de- they reveal that he they, he definitely, he definitely kills, kills the kid, the and I'm like, oh my fucking god. Talk about making your 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 primary antagonist d- despicable. Not likable at all. I mean, we talked about it. I think I think it was maybe two episodes ago about how like you just don't kill kids in in horror movies. Yeah, or movies in general. It was part six. We had a big debate about like is like Jason killing kids. Is it out of character? Or are they just never gonna see it? Like. Yeah, we talked about we talked about how like that that shit just does not happen in movies a lot. Yeah. Especially now, like you just that's that's something that's kind of like you can kill literally anybody. Cannot kill a kid on screen. And they don't technically kill a kid on screen in the movie. But it's yeah. definitely like heavily implied like this motherfucker killed oh, he, this kid. They tell him, they say they he's sh- a child murderer. Sh- I couldn't tell if they showed the because they showed him all the photos. I wasn't really looking too I don't, too much I don't into the photos. The I don't photos, know if that's in there. But when they talk about Boone being responsible, they say that he murdered a kid. They yeah. talk about him being a child murderer, which means that dude definitely killed a fucking kid. Yeah, I just mean like I, I don't remember them in the photos showing a dead child. Thankfully, I, I don't. so so good. Thank you for not doing that. But uh, yeah, that that sequence was really fucking good. And all, honestly, all the stuff with Cronenberg is is awesome. He's really good. I, for me. I love particularly the gas. No, it's not the gas station scene, but he goes he goes and meets that like crazy old man who's petting his taxidermy dog. Yeah, yeah. And the whole like him tying him up and like torturing him or whatever. He just like he just like he gets so mad and frustrated. He just fucking stabs. He's like, oh, God, yeah. That was that shit's ridiculous. This movie uh, is just one of those great it. needle drop moments too. Is when uh, the main girl becomes friends with that girl at the bar, has a nice conversation. She's like, you know, I'll bring you to the minion. I don't, I don't fucking care. I got, I'm, I don't got anything to do. I'll go with you. You seem like a nice girl. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, at the bar last night, I met someone really nice. He's a great guy. He seems to really care about me and like oh, me. Oh yeah. And then she's like, oh, Curtis, what are you doing here? And it's the fucking psychiatrist. And you go, yeah. Fuck. I went no geez. fucking way. Fuck. Yeah, I, I was I was like, oh man, come on, man, don't don't do this. She's such a nice girl. Don't do that. And then she's pinned to the fucking tree. I'm like, god damn it. 
that when I was sucks. watching the movie and I saw her, I was like, is that the mom from Malcolm in the Middle? It's not. Is it? You no, know, it it's looks not. like her. Like, if she was... Because it came in 90s, so it'd be like a few years, like maybe seven to ten years before Malcolm Middle started. So I'm like, it could definitely be her. It is not, though. You know who is an actor from a recurring film that you've seen before is the cop. The sheriff or the no, um, no. inspector? The, the good cop, the, the inspector. You know who he is? I, uh, the whole time I was sitting there looking, like, I fucking know who you are. So I thought it was from, like, a horror film I've seen him before, and I was like, you definitely been in a horror film I've seen. It's not. You know what he's from? What? Phantom Menace. He's the captain. Oh! Yep. I knew I knew him from fucking somewhere. Wild. He, he's... As he's the captain of the fucking Queen's Guard. Yeah, so, and when I saw him, like, I, I fucking know you from somewhere, dude. I don't know why I know you, but I know you. Yeah, I, I had to look it up. I'm like, dude, it's going to bug me if I don't figure it out. Nine years before. Yep, learned his craft. It didn't did age a day. He looks older in Nightbreed than he does in uh, Phantom Menace. Oh, really? I don't I don't remember. I remember him looking pretty fucking young in both. He's pretty, he looks pretty young in Phantom Menace, I think. Oh, like that glossy uh, George Lucas filter. Yeah, everyone looks very fucking glossy in those movies. Yeah, even when even the even though the first one's filmed on film, they still look glossy. Oh man, yeah, this movie's crazy. What's a, a negative that you consider from the film, though? If any, you could find. I have one. I feel is a bit of a negative. I mean, we kind of discussed it. Like, I'm I'm a little bit torn on the whole the ending with the girl kind of stabbing herself and forcing him. That's that's my big thing. It is forcing the situation. It's tough to build a romance where you're being forced into doing what the other person wants to do. Like, yeah, it wasn't like it, it wasn't Boone or Cabal's choice. Like, yeah, but at, at the same time, though, they kind of you know, like he does it. They're together and then seem happy. So it's like, is it just is it is it like strong arming or is it just giving him the push that he needed? Yeah. I- I'm not saying it's morally wrong. I'm just saying, like, it left a weird taste in my mouth. It felt really weird when she stabbed herself. I was just like, uh... Okay. It's just like that shit when you try to break up with a girlfriend. You're like, you know, it's just not working. And she just goes like, what if I just kill myself right now? And you go, whoa. (laughs) I just said it's not working. I didn't say your life won't be working. Fucking calm down. Chill, bro. Chill, bro. You know? I mean, I guess sometimes the, the cops get a little bit too cartoonish. Oh, fuck. When he goes to the... To the jail cell, I'm like this. Shit's the gun so guy makes me laugh really hard, though. What guy? The armor, the armory, uh, armory guy. Oh, whipping out all the guns and showing him like, yeah, bro, got this fucking G three A three. Cocks the guy. He's like, yeah, he's got all this. Yeah, he's he got, got a he lot rattles of fucking off weapons at this regular ass small town sheriff's department. Motherfucker whips up. The the cops show up with a fucking rocket launcher. I'm no, like, no, it's what? not even a fucking cop. It's a random fucking redneck douchebag. Because he launches the rocket launcher at one of the fucking guys, and I'm like. Where the fuck did you get that, bro? Like, I, I know that we wild. don't pass out gun permits in Florida as much as we should, but, like, you did not fucking get that from anybody. Canada's wild, bro. This shit's wild. Oh, so fucking... I didn't know you, get, didn't know you could have a fucking... I didn't know you have a fucking bazooka in Canada. Fucking ridiculous. But um, I, I like the armor guy because he's really funny. Like him rattling off all the gun information, being like all self-masturbatory about it. That's really funny. As a com- kind of like a commentary on gun culture. It's really funny. But a lot of cops, is, yeah, like the one you're talking about in the jail cell who like beats the shit out of him or all stuff and brings the father in. I mean, honestly, the sheriff, like I like the sheriff as a villain, he but he so does cartoonish. get a little bit cartoonish a lot. A just, little bit a lot. He's just like, I hate him. I hate them all. I don't know what they are, but I fucking hate them. It's like I mean, I'm it not works by the end. Like that, but it just comes off very like one-dimensional. He's got a fucking gold tooth and shit. Like yeah, yeah. Like 
at the end it 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 does find it like kind of smooth out and it works fine with him but some of the interactions he has especially with boone in the jail cell i'm just like it's so come on man yeah chill the fuck out chill chill out guys we got we got we got to take this down like three notches this is a little bit too much i'm not saying like the movie's ever been the movie's been subtle or anything about its about its opinions on on the night breeds and how the the night breeds are an allegory for racism and that the cops are uh, being racist yeah Yeah, like it's not being subtle about any of that but at the same time like it does kind of cross that line into a little bit too over the top a couple times yeah and i'm not saying that like hey we should paint these cops as good people but like no paint them just tone the performance down i'd say paint it more realistically like showcase their pieces of shit but not like fucking eighth grade bully pieces of shit where it's like okay they're just they're just all fucking super dumb and super douchey like the more real you make a threat like that feel especially for like a police force the more you can understand like well this is why people don't trust them you know it it being a police force like you uh, you kind of just just hit on that it being a police force also makes it way too real for today oh 100% that's way too in, fucking in the real. police force like getting people that share their viewpoints to also enforce the law it, yeah there's so much shit in this movie where it's like it's wild to think that this is just so topical and yeah like like i've said like you said multiple times like these aren't new issues it's just this like took, the extremes that 20... they go to in this movie feel like an extreme that is going to happen soon regardless of where you fall politically or anything like it's just the situations brought in the movie shed a lot of light on a lot of real life subjects nowadays yeah. and it's just it's unbelievable how easily to compare it it really is yeah it's very obvious i just, I, I I just wish like it. i said i just wish they toned down the, the performances a little bit because they're just getting yeah really 100 i wish because they try to make all the other antagonists feel very like real like I, obviously the the nightbreed that's an asshole that causes boone to become a nightbreed He's fucking wild. He's like a little wild card, but he's different. He's not really an antagonist as much as just like uh, like a thorn in the side. So him being crazy is fine. But the police, like, especially because by the end of the film, they're another primary antagonist. Like, they're sharing the antagonistic role with the psychiatrist. And if they're going to be at that level, like, and committing genocide... Don't make them just feel like fucking hokey cartoon villains. Like, make yeah. them feel, like, viably bad. Give them motive that makes them feel fucking vindictive. Besides just... I'm not saying the the motive of just, like, we don't like different people. That's good. But don't play it up like it's a fucking ham factor. Yeah, I agree. That is a negative. To me, the only other negative I could think of is more like a... From my viewpoint, what I would have liked out of the movie. It's not a negative on the film's part, but... The way they build up... Boone having dreams of Midian and clearly seeing the girl who's like the porcupine girl. Yep. And he talked to us like I've seen her in my dreams, and she says, "Oh, I've seen him in my dreams." I wish they built more with that character and had her more involved in the movie because yeah. it seems like they talk a lot about her or they show her a lot. And then she's after a very they, prominent image for the film. Yeah, and then after they meet, it's just like, oh, she has one scene at the end. It's like, oh, well, that's kind of a letdown. I thought it would have been like a love triangle between her and like the main girl. I thought that would have been a little bit more interesting. It doesn't feel tasteless, but the way that two principal female characters in this movie use their bodies to distract men. Yeah. Because obviously the the girl with Babette does that at the police station to break 
Boone out, but also the Porcupine Girl does too. I don't dislike the scene with the Smoke Girl. I was not expecting it, I'll tell you that much. I would have just liked her to not cause the death by a kiss. I think that's a little too indulgent. A little on the nose, yeah. That's like, oh, it's like poison ivy. It's like, yeah. I, d I did kind of like the effect, though, with the, uh, the smoke coming out of the mouth. Yeah. Pretty cool. I just, the porcupine one, I, I'm fine with that shit. That, that shit was fire. That shit was awesome. And it, women using what they have to not only distract men, but cause it to be like meet their end. Like, yeah, she's she's ostensibly it. protecting herself. Yeah, I by distraction. Yeah. Like, if you want to use sexuality as a weapon, fucking do it. That's cool. And it's not it's not filmed in a way where it feels like we're leering at anybody. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It feels it, pretty respectful. We know what it's being used for. So yeah. contextually, there's no weirdness to it, really. Yeah. So, so I like that. I appreciate that stuff. I just would have wished that Porcupine Girl had more impact on the More, film. More to do. Maybe yeah. having a love triangle would have been a bit overdone. You know, it's done a million times. But I, I just feel like the way she's brought up in the beginning of the film, the part should have at least been a little bit bigger or have more impact. Yeah. I think it's kind of wild because uh, the synopsis for this movie is very misleading. Oh, yeah. What's the synopsis? Cause I, I don't I don't know what it is verbatim, but they're saying you know like oh Aaron you know Boone goes to Midian and meets people of the Nightbreed and um, he's framed for murder by the by the the psychiatrist and the people like the Nightbreed people of Midian help him get revenge like only two of them help him yeah like, the rest of them don't like. <laughs> I think the coolest it, it thing is kind of misleading, and they don't really discuss anything about the whole in, in the synopsis. They don't talk about the town and how the people of Nightbreed have been persecuted. They don't talk about any. I mean, yeah. like, it's a synopsis. It's not a whole fucking character, like story breakdown, but it leaves what the movie really is about out of it. Like, it really isn't about. I mean, it's the inciting incident that causes the movie to really be the way it is, but. Yeah. At the end of the day, the story isn't really about Boone getting revenge on on the psychiatrist, although it's a component of it. It's a very yeah. important, important part it's of his the, arc. It's the first act of it, really. Yeah. But that's so, after yeah, you one, learn about Midian, things change drastically. That I think that's what threw me off because when I read that synopsis, I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You know, he goes out to the cemetery and chills out with these fucking monsters, and then they take revenge on on David Cronenberg, and they they figure out how to how to you know get uh, Boone off the hook the movie's not at all about that no. that's kind of the crazy thing so i think that's what threw me off when i was watching i'm like we get the midi and the movie completely changes from what i was expecting this movie to be and i think that's probably what threw me off I I, like, oh this is a completely different movie than what i was sold by the synopsis i think it changes more so not just when they get to midian but after he dies and yeah you know the the doctor is in charge of everything he's lying behind the scenes he's fooling people and as a regular type of film, you'd say, I really want to be able to prove that Boone is innocent. At the end of the movie, you don't fucking care, because you don't care about that world anymore. You care about what he's yeah. going to do in Midian. We know he's not... We know he's innocent, but we know the general public will never see him as innocent. But what the fuck does that matter anymore? Well, the whole point now, though, is is that he's no longer Boone. He's Cabal. He's Cabal, yeah. So he is innocent. So it's just not funny to think, anymore. like... If at the end of the film, for most films, you'd want to say like it's bullshit. They didn't make him. They didn't make him innocent, or the people don't know that he didn't commit these acts. But in this film, you don't even give a fuck about that by the end of it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, really. But the way the movie paces out and just changes all the topics, it's like, hey, I don't even fucking care what people think about him anymore. He's he's a busy man. <laughs> yeah, he's busy being Moses. Yeah. 
I, I really think that that kind of twisted my experience watching it. And now that we're talking about it, it definitely has helped me kind of articulate what I feel about the movie and also realize, you know, what I like about it and what I don't like about it. But I like the idea of what that synopsis sells, but I like the world that this version of the movie gives you. I wonder if the synopsis is more closely linked to the original theatrical version. Maybe. But maybe I, the theatrical movie, maybe the theatrical version takes out like a shit ton of stuff with Baphomet and you know the, the Nightbreed people so they don't have as much of a connection and it just winds up being kind of a coincidence that you know everything converges at Midian yeah I don't know, so, I don't know. okay uh, comment on uh, it th- that was the synopsis for the director's cut on Shudder so I was Uh-oh. like doesn't weird doesn't change anything then still very misleading yeah. Unless they just, you know, maybe they just po- po- uh, copy, you know, copy pasted. Maybe there wasn't a synopsis written for the director's cut. I don't know. You gonna end up getting the Blu-ray for this movie? Yeah, I'm gonna get it for sure. It also, because uh, mostly not gonna lie, look, I- I'll definitely want to watch this again. But also because it comes with a 75-minute documentary about yeah. the movie, kind of funny. Immediately, Letterbox only has the uh, the theatrical cut as an option to oh. to review and. It has the documentary from the Blu-ray as an option to review too, but they don't have the director's mm. cut. That fucking annoys me. Because now I have to put like a star as a director's cut, not this trash. <laughs> yeah, that makes so, sense. After I watched it immediately, I immediately added it to my Amazon cart. Uh, yeah, it's it's in. I think it's in my save for later right now. Because I was going to yeah. buy it to watch the movie, and then I'm just like, well, it's too late now. I'm just going to watch it on on yeah. Shutter because I wanted to watch it on the Blu-ray so I, then I could watch the documentary and then i can be informed more but it's too late mm-hmm. yeah i'm definitely gonna get the blu-ray i know that there's multiple different companies that did a blu-ray for this because scream factory did a blu-ray for this but factory is the one that i have in my cart yeah well they, they had an i think they had an arrow one before but it's gone it's uh the arrow one is region b oh is it i looked at okay. it because i'm like oh there's a nightbreed one for arrow and it's like it's region b it's not it's not for us I used to be such a fanboy for um, for Screen Factory Blu-rays. Like I still buy them, obviously. Like I still like them a lot, but Arrow's way better. <laughs> I like Arrow's presentation better. I like the box. Like if, when you get the limited edition versions of them with the, with the box and the poster and all that shit, it's way better. Shit I just different. like the Arrow logo and how it comes like with all the colors on and stuff like that too. Yeah, I, I think the way it's designed is just more appealing to me. They also don't lie and call things collector's editions when they it barely has any editions of special oh, features they do. or anything. Do they really? I haven't really well, thought I, anything. It's not like lying like, about it. It's just like, you should never make a movie that is a regular Blu-ray case and call it a collector's edition. I, I'm sorry. Like, you could have a million bonus features, and I love that shit, but, like, it feels so plain. Like, if I bought... Yeah. I'm going to look a fucking asshole. I don't give a fuck. You know what? I don't give a fuck. If I bought this fucking Godzilla... And it's like, hey, yeah, it's a regular figure, cool. Buy figure art, it's nice. This is the regular fucking figure. It's not a collector's item just because it's expensive. It's expensive because I'm stupid and I deserve pain. But, yeah. Now, if you have this with a bunch of fucking other special shit and it's a limited quantity, that is a collector's edition. That's a collector's item. If you're just gonna make a regular fucking Blu-ray case... That's the same as any other Blu-ray case you can get at fucking, like, I don't know, Best Buy. They're like, oh, my case is broken, I can go switch it out, and there's nothing else coming with it. Do not call it a collector's edition. That bugs me. I want more presentation. I want a fucking box. I want something else with it. Not that those features aren't important. They are super important, and they make a big difference, but that's just a regular edition. I'm sorry. I I think it's kind of funny, because Arrow usually they classify theirs by, like, 
the ones with the boxes are the limited editions. And then the, the singular releases are special editions. They're not collector's editions. But every single Scream Factory Blu-ray that gets released is a, is a collector's edition. And the only it's way that it's really stupid. a collector's edition, by most people's definitions, is if you buy it directly from them within a certain period of time and you get like a lithograph on it. It's stupid. I yeah. don't I mean, say collector's edition. Just don't do it. Yeah. That's that's kind of the thing because I think it says that on the Nightbreed Blu-ray, and I'm like, it does. Uh, I don't is know it though? It says Nightbreed the director's cut. I don't know if it says collector's edition or not. I can't remember, but I know they sometimes swap it out. And they have like the exact same like layout for their cases, but they'll swap it out instead of it being collector's edition at the top. It'll say Blu-ray DVD and or Just Blu-ray give me DVD. A fucking different case. Make it look special. Like that's it. Like, if yeah. you do that, it's enough for make you feel like, oh, it's it's a different box it's it's a different thing it's a collector's edition whatever cool i wish screen factory would stop using blue blu-ray cases i wish they would use clear ones they look really nice on the uh the friday set yeah they do it helps that friday has all black posters though yeah i'm sure clear would look shit with some like other posters on it for the halloween one they did uh all black cases it's pretty cool arrow does clear yeah like uh criterion does clear too the red ones again like terminator and fucking mad max Those are like hd dvds bro have nickelodeon make one and just have the green slime ones <laughs> just orange that they're oh, vhs's oh yeah like the bricks yeah the old vhs tapes i had uh, blues clues vhs tapes as a child and they were pure orange was... hey you couldn't miss them no i think we've kind of dwindled down on what we could talk about if we're now discussing rugrats and blues clues so true you have any Actually, final I mean, thoughts it, it's kind of it's kind of like a uh, a very very like singular point but i really really like the the psychiatrist's design yes his mask a lot i like it a lot i was disappointed I was like, he has, at he has, first he has fucking enormous knives for like no fucking reason like they're enormous i was at first disappointed that it wasn't a night breed it was just the psychiatrist yeah, it's still just as interesting, even if it isn't a fucking creature. Having it when he's talking to people with the mask on, like he's almost kind of a different person because he he has much more energy to him. Yeah, like he's hiding behind the mask and he can be more. It's kind of like an inverse of like a superhero. It's like, hey, I put this mask on and I can be more confident. So it's like he's he's using his own psychology for himself. He's like, I put a mask on and I can hide my socio well, not hide my sociopathic tendencies, but I can have more charisma because I'm not reserving my emotion. Mm nearly as much particularly in that scene with the guy at the uh with his tax derby dog that shit just had me transfixed i, I just really like that character in general I, not... I, like, I, haven't, I haven't seen david cronenberg act in a lot of shit yeah he doesn't do, usually, usually just cameos he doesn't really he act. does cameos in his movies but he doesn't like this is like a full-on role yeah and like he was really really good in this yeah i loved him in it so i'm sure I... he, i'm sure he acts in other shit but I looked, never seen it wasn't it. a whole lot though. I, I looked it up for the filmography for him after the movie. Yeah, he should he should appear in more shit. He's really good. Final thoughts, man. Yeah, Nightbreed's really good and it's really refreshing to watch a movie like this where it's not just, you know, an effects picture, which obviously it is an effects picture, but it's nice to have a movie where it feels like it has more on its mind and it's trying to accomplish more than just kind of scare the pants off you. It's creating a whole entire universe for you to investigate and in, i guess in your mind because there's nothing else to investigate it with there's no other materials we guess you can read the book it's a great looking movie the effects are fantastic just absolutely fantastic the 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 monsters look incredible and the finale is just a hoot it's not it's not a movie that like i i 
when I was initially watching it, I was like, yeah, this is just an amazing movie. I need to I need to watch this again soon. But luckily talking about it with you has definitely made me understand my feelings on the movie a lot more. I really I really enjoyed this movie. Is it is it gonna supplant something like Hellraiser for me as far as like things I enjoy for for Clive Barker? I don't know. I really, 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 really like Hellraiser. Coincidentally, another movie I saw for the first time with you. But yeah, I, I don't know. I can tell you what. I'm glad we watched this because this was definitely one of the cooler experiences I've had on the podcast so far. That's a new experience. It's like this and Phantom are like two of my favorite like new yeah. experiences. And Nosferatu, obviously. I yeah, think Nosferatu is... I think Nosferatu is just easier to expect to have a good time. You know what I mean? You're yeah, not I mean, it, surprising. It's, it's a movie that everyone tells you is a masterpiece. And you gotta enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, like This is a movie no one talks about outside of the genre. Yeah. You know, people outside of the horror genre talk about Nosferatu. Because it affects all film, but it's kind of wild to watch a movie like this where it's still very niche outside of the, its its genre fans. So this is definitely a cool new experience. Yeah, for my final thoughts, I'd say it's easily my favorite watch that we've done on the podcast it's for a film I haven't seen before. Or just like, you know, watching American Werewolf is fantastic every time. Watching Any Evil Dead is fantastic every time. But I know what I'm getting at the end of the day, because I love the films. I've seen them a million times. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I love the first Hellraiser. It's one of my favorite horror films, especially of the decade. But that doesn't mean I'm going to love this movie. I like Hellraiser yeah. 2 a lot, too. But it doesn't mean it's going to be the same exact thing. Not only is Nightbreed so radically different than what Clive Barker is known for for Hellraiser, this world he set up is so vast with the ideas you could put into it. And you could just really just sit down and want to delve even deeper and deeper and it's so interesting and you can see how it inspires so many other filmmakers like tim burton especially yeah and it's it's like i said it sucks i haven't seen it earlier but at the same time i really am happy i watched it now it's so topical for all the things it discusses nowadays it hits on a lot of feelings for people that don't know where their place in life is and it's it's a great movie for someone learning about how they want to transition forward with who they are. And it really is just the perfect type of film for any type of outsider in any aspect and just wanting to make a difference but also feel like they have a place in the world. I I think the movie did a fantastic job. I love it. I wish more people would watch it. Definitely this version. I haven't seen the theatrical, so maybe that that is good too. Maybe that's not rightfully shit on. I don't know. But I had a fantastic time watching it. It is not many films I hop out and immediately say this was incredible I I loved every second of it and really does change my expectations for what's going to happen almost every 20 minutes I never knew what was happening next scene and I thought that was so amazing besides obviously like oh this structure has to follow this we know how it goes blah 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 but there's so many curveballs that just hit out of nowhere and I'm like wow I am genuinely impressed with the storytelling in this film yeah so not only I would I say I would like people to watch it more, I implore you to check this film out. I thought it was yes. awesome. And yeah, I I'm not saying it's a better film than Hellraiser. I'm saying it's it's right up there for my interest. I could not believe what Barker is able to really develop with two totally different sides of the coin. So Barker's a genius. Straight up. Please check this film out. Tell us what you think about it. I hope you also have a great time. Maybe you're not a fan of it. Who knows? Don't talk to me if you're not, though. I don't tell you. So, that's all for this episode. We'll catch you later, then. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.